Well, tonight we are uh, going to continue our series in Ephesians, but we're going to read another portion of Scripture. And for the first portion, I want us to turn to Acts 26, uh, and then in a little while we'll have our our second reading. So, uh, Acts 26, and I want us to read from verse 12 through to verse 23. So, in Acts 26 here, we're going to encounter the Apostle Paul, and he's explaining what has happened or what did happen to him as he encountered the Lord. This is God's Word to us. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those whom are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Well, do come with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. As I said, Stephen's going to open this up for us in just a few moments. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin to read at verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, 
impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is a shameful for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light, and that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us. Brothers and sisters, in this part of Ephesians that we've reached uh, tonight, I want to persuade us really that our lives, your lives, are bathed in light. That you and I as Christian people are surrounded by light. In fact, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that you are light. At the center of this passage tonight, there is a light shining. It's Christ's light. It shines upon us, upon the church. And our goal tonight is to see how Christ's light shines so that we break off from dark deeds and walk in the light. This light has that kind of power. And then we're going to see how this same light shines so that we can walk a wise path through evil days. His light has that kind of insight and wisdom. Now, if that sounds different from what we've met so far in Ephesians, it's not. It's deeply connected to it. It's just that in this part of Ephesians, light Christ's light shining upon us is the main way that Paul is expressing the same gospel to us. And so if tonight we sense the need of power to live the Christian life, the sense of the need of power to break off from sin, we'll find it in this light of Christ. And if we sense the need of wisdom to know how we can walk carefully and wisely and faithfully in our times, then this light will guide us. So come with me then to, uh, to chapter 5. Um, the passage or the section we're going to particularly consider is verses 3 to 21. So verses 3 to 14, and then much more briefly, verses 15 to 21. In context, verses 1 and 2 um, cap in many ways the, um, the larger previous sections. So they're glorious verses, verses 1 and 2. Um, but unfortunately, we're not going to spend time in them tonight. In summary, Paul has been saying, walk in love because Christ has loved you end of verse 2, 
And then he transitions into verse 3, and the theme changes, walk in light because Christ shines upon you. And so we're going to take in two parts, verses 3 to 14, where we'll see Christ's light, by Christ's light, walk as children of light, not in dark deeds. And then verses 15 to 21, by that same light of Christ, walk a wise path through evil days. So let's begin then with verse 3. Now, you may have noticed as the passage was read, all these things mentioned in verses 3 to 7, all the instructions that Paul gives about sexual immorality and covetousness and so on, they're all really clear. It's really stark. It's cut and dry. It's, it's binary. They get described in verse, verse 11 under the umbrella as works of darkness. And the reason that Paul is so stark and clear is that because they've been brought into the light, a particular light that is shining. Verse 13. And we're going to get there in verse 14, but let me tell us up front just where this life is coming from. So if you have a look at verse 14, that enigmatic little sentence, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All the light in this passage from verse 3 onwards, all the way through, it's coming from that verse. This light is the shining of the risen Christ. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus? The same light that shone on him shines on us. Now, we'll get there, but first of all, come back with me to verse 3, because when the light of the risen Christ shines, it lands in particular in these verses on three things, mentioned in verse 3, also repeated um, in verse 5. Not only these, but um, in particular. Verse 3, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness are suddenly in Christ's light showing up as being really improper for God's holy people, for the saints. They're not even meant to be named, not even a hint in the NIV. In other words, not to be even entertained, never mind indulged, as is proper among the saints, among holy people. And then repeated again in verse 5, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous. Sexual immorality, it's a broad term for all sexual sin, so it can, in specific cases, refer in particular to adultery, homosexuality, or incest, but it covers all sexual sin outside marriage, all sexual conduct outside marriage. Impurity is often paired with it, an uncleanness that comes from it, but also includes lewdness. Covetousness, which is not only a desire for what is not yet ours, a desire that is all out of proportion. It's immoderate. It's greedy. It's grasping. Whether it's for honor, for riches, for pride, for anything that belongs to our neighbor. And at the heart of that disorder, says Paul, is a great confusion about who we are and who God is. So in verse 5, that's why he, he says, look, covetousness, which is idolatry, or the one who covets is an idolater someone who has confused the creature and the creator, refusing to give glory and thanks to God as is his due. And in between these two verses, verse 3 and verse 5, Christ's light shows up some other things that belong with these. We may not have put them together, but Christ's light puts them together 
obscenities or shameful things, foolish talk, coarse joking. So this kind of crude or filthy joking or talk or speech, these are the kinds of things that in loads of settings go down really well. They actually sound clever. They get a laugh. But suddenly in Christ's light, they look really out of place. They're not fitting. They're not proper, says Paul, for God's people. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking. The opposite, positive speech, were to give free rein to that from our lips. What is it? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We see it again in verse 20. It's one of the most fitting kinds of speech for Christians. Once we understand we've been made joint heirs in the kingdom of light, gratitude and not grasping or greed is most fitting for God's people. When we move from verses 5 onwards into verse 11, um, we see in Christ's light not just the deeds that he's talking about, but the destiny that they lead to. We see what they produce. We see the fruit or the unfruitfulness, as it is in the case of the works of darkness. So verse 5, Paul says, that people characterized by these things in verse 3, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Which makes complete sense given our reading in Acts 26, and also what Paul said so far in Ephesians and elsewhere. Because this is a kingdom of light. It's a kingdom of light. We have a share among the saints, holy people, the holy ones. So verse 6, Paul says to us, don't be deceived by empty words. What empty words? What do the empty words say? The empty words say, and there's lots of empty words around. We don't need to look far in our day or in any generation to find these empty words and to hear them. What these empty words say is that you can toy with and take part in sexual immorality as a Christian. You can build into your life coarse joking and filthiness as a Christian. You can build your life like everybody around on covetousness, on a consuming desire for self-glorification. You can do that and still be a Christian. And Paul says, those are empty words. They are empty words. Jesus' resurrection light showed these things up in their true light. In the past, God had overlooked times of ignorance, the ways of the nations. But by Jesus' resurrection light, he called time on idolatry, covetousness, sexual morality. He called time on that. And so what these things do is only provoke God's wrath. Whereas verse 8, the light of Christ shows up our destiny. Verse 8, we've been called out of darkness into the light. Do you see it's no exaggeration to say you are light in the Lord. So of course have no share in darkness. Darkness has no share in you. The works of darkness, they bear no fruit or life, whereas walking in light, 
do you see there are fruitful paths in the light that we walk in? We can walk in the path of goodness, righteousness, and truth. So verse 9, make these your pursuit. Verse 10, try and find out what is pleasing to the Lord. So then a light shines from verse 3 onwards, and it shows up dark deeds. And by this light, we are to walk as children of light. We're to walk in this light. But I want us to think a little bit more about exactly what this light is now, because we build up to it from verse 11 into verse 14. And in particular, I want us to think, look, how, how is this powerful? How does this give us power to break off from sin? And is this light, is this a light of condemnation? Let's think about this light. So from verses 11 onwards, um, there are some steps Paul takes that um, are a little hard to follow, um, but let's work our way through. So from verse 11, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That means bring them to light. And what he's saying is put Christ's light on these deeds and show them for what they are. That's what he's just been doing. Show them up for what they are. Dark deeds. Verse 12, for it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. That leaves us with a bit of a puzzle, doesn't it? If they're secret and shameful, why do we want to bring them into the light? Verse 13 then, Paul says, well, Christian, bring them into the light, just like he's been doing since verse 3, because here's the thing. What Christ is doing in showing these things up as dark deeds, he's doing something in us which is light and life-giving. By being really clear and stark from verse 3 onwards, what Jesus Christ is doing is waking us up from the sleep of sin and death. So those verses from verse 3 on might feel stark, but what we, what we are meeting there is the resurrection power of Jesus, shining on us to bring us life. Hence, verse 14, that's, what he, that's why he says, therefore it says, making all this visible is light and life to us. Verse 14, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper, Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, this little series of sayings, or this little hymn, it's the crux. Okay, it's at the heart of our passage. And it begins with, therefore it says. Now, in the New Testament, that's one way you introduce Scripture. If you want to quote the Old Testament, if you want to quote another Scripture, you begin your quotation with those words. But these words aren't a direct quote from anywhere in the Old Testament. There's lots of echoes here. So Isaiah 6, Isaiah 26, Daniel 12, there's echoes. But it's not quoting a particular verse. But it is quoting something that is at the very heart of the Old Testament. You might have noticed our first reading wasn't from, an old, from the Old Testament. It wasn't an Old Testament reading. But it was as close as you can get to that without being an Old Testament reading, because in it, Paul summarized the whole Old Testament. And this little hymn encapsulates something that Paul says is at the heart of everything that the law and the prophets have promised. Do you remember, um, 
as a church, I know you've gone through the book of Acts. Do you remember when Paul, from chapter 21 on, he's going through all the different levels of provincial um, Roman courts, and he's on trial, and he keeps saying, he said, look, it's, it's ironic, you know, I've, charges have been brought against me by the Jews, but the irony is I'm on trial for the very hope of the Jews, what the 12 tribes of Israel have been praying night and day for. They've been fed on this hope, and what is the hope? It's the hope of the resurrection of the dead, the hope of the resurrection of the dead. The whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets, can be summed up, in a sense, by that promise and that hope. And that, those words, resurrection from the dead, like in verse 14 of Ephesians 5, arise from the dead, it's not rise up from death in the abstract or the state of the dead. It's plural. It's rise up from among the dead ones. Rise up from among the dead ones. Here's the image. Here's the image of the Old Testament. Humans of history are understood as so many sleepers in the dust. Dust is figurative for death, and there they are sleeping in the dust, in the grave, Sheol, the place of the dead. But even living nations under the shadow of sin and death. And God's great promise was that one of those sleepers would rise up, and he would be the first to rise. So you could call him the firstborn from the dead. And just by being the first to rise, he had a natural authority, just like a firstborn. He had a natural authority. He was the first to rise from the dead. He had the God-given right to stand up and turn around and proclaim light and life to all the sleepers. And so he could say to them, Wake up, O sleepers, and rise from the dead. And this was the promise that the Jews believed in and looked ahead to. And Paul says, the great mystery that we knew that in the Old Testament, but the great mystery that was hidden for ages now revealed is that it wasn't just for Jews. It was for people from every nation. Gentiles also, our fellow heirs, have a place through forgiveness of sins, an inheritance among the saints in the kingdom of light. And so we too are summoned from death to life, Ephesians 2. And so Christ made one new man from these newly awoken sleepers. And that's the light that shone on Paul on the road to Damascus. It's the light that Christ shines on the nations as he calls them from idolatry, from covetousness, from sexual immorality, to turn to the light, to receive forgiveness and a place among the saints. This is the light that shone into our hearts. It's brought us from death to life, Ephesians 2, and Paul repeats it here because this light shines again and again and again upon us. It shines upon us again tonight. Verse 14 is the gospel in summary, but it's not the gospel only for our first repentance and faith but for our daily turning and trusting. That's where the light's coming from. And so Christ shines his light upon us, and he finds perhaps our hands and lips busy with coarse joking, toying with immorality, beginning to live, as we've already thought, in the shadows, to tolerate 
what is not fitting, to make a place for it in our life, to maybe pretend to begin to think that Christian living is more about shades of gray, not light and dark. And Christ says afresh, wake up, O sleeper. Wake up from sexual sin. Wake up from covetousness. Wake up from greed. Wake up from coarse joking. Rise from your sleep of sin and death. Walk in the light. Now, before we move on, just notice that something is assumed here in verse 14, and that is power. How will you and I find the power to break off from sin that clings so heavily to us? Well, notice that here the command comes with its own power. This is the same power that can wake up a dead man as if from sleep with a word. God puts at the disposal of his church and he gives to us tonight the same power that he used to raise Christ from the dead. Ephesians 1, 19 to 20. This command comes with the power to raise us to life and light. So trust him for it and let us walk in the light. Much more briefly, uh, we're going to come to um, our second point, verses 15 to 21. Now, in verse 15, it says, look carefully then, or therefore, how you walk. In other words, in light of verse 14. So, we're walking still by Christ's light. But when Christ shines his light, the light of the gospel, one of the things it does is it shows up the need of the hour. It shows up exactly what we need for our times and for our days. I wonder what you would say if you were asked, what is the church's need of the hour? What do we need most that we do not have? What is our great lack? What do we most need to walk through the generation in which we live? What do we need? Well, Christ's light shines, and it says the need of the hour for Christians in the Christian church is wisdom. Wisdom. Verse 15. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Categories of wise, and then verse 17, put the other way, do not be foolish, wise, foolish. And wisdom is needed because Christ's resurrection, it it lights up our days as evil days in which you need to be careful how you walk. And for that, you need wisdom. How is this connected to verse 14? Well, Christ shines his light. He wakes up Christian people from the sleep of sin and death. He calls them out of darkness into light. The nations are sleeping or sleepwalking. But verse 14, the Christian is wide awake and on their feet. And they find their great need is wisdom. And so what the Christian church is doing in these days, and what the Christian church is supposed to be doing in these days, Christ's light shows us, is buying back time and opportunity. So while the nations are sleepwalking, woken up 
Christians, what are they doing? They are pursuing goodness and righteousness and truth. They are buying back evil days and using it for good and righteousness and truth. And to do that takes wisdom, great wisdom. Now, there's something uh, that's occurred a couple of times in this passage that you, you might think is, um, is open-ended, is an open door. You were looking for a neat answer and it didn't come. So verse 17, Paul says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Tell us, Paul. We had it also in verse 10. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Not a neat answer, but told to discern and examine, find out what pleases the Lord. But just in uh, our last remaining moments, I want us to see how in the verses that follow, we do get indications of where wisdom is not found and where wisdom is found. If we're to tread carefully, wisely through evil days, where wisdom is not found and where it's found, what fosters wisdom and what does not. First of all, where it's not found, verse 18 do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Where it's not found, drunkenness. Why mention this now? Why raise the subject of drunkenness now at this point? Because the surefire way to walk foolishly in our times is through drunkenness. Now, the ancients knew this. The ancient kings and queens of the ancient world knew this. So think of the end of Proverbs, chapter 31. Do you remember the queen mother? There she was instructing her royal son, Lemuel, and she was instructing him in advanced wisdom. And what did she say to him? She said, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine. It's not for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. You need to make righteous judgments instead. You need to be filled with something, but it's not wine, Lemuel. Think of uh, biblical kings drunk with wine. Did they act wisely in those evenings? Belshazzar at the feast, Daniel 5. The Persian emperor, Ahasuerus, after seven days of compulsory drinking, Esther 1. Did they make wise decisions? Did they govern well? No. Well, brothers and sisters, we are royal children, Paul says. We are heirs of the kingdom. We have an inheritance in the kingdom of saints or the kingdom of light among the saints. Wisdom is the need of the hour, and it will not be found in drunkenness. Be filled instead, says Paul, with the Spirit. The Spirit, who in the book of Ephesians is the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And we glimpse, and can only glimpse tonight, something of what this involves in verses 19 to 21. We know that the church in chapter 4 grows up speaking the truth in love. What does it look like when the church grows up in wisdom, filled with the Spirit? How do we find her? We find her, verse 19, speaking the truth in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. These spiritual words of truth then give the church the key that they sing in. And it's one of thanksgiving, verse 20. 
giving thanks to God the Father in the name of the Lord. And the church's demeanor, submitting to one another, deferring to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a wonderful image. Who could script it? The church militant, how does she walk through these evil days with all wisdom? And what do we find? We find her addressing each other in spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord, thanksgiving in the name of the Lord, submitting out of reverence for Christ the Lord to one another. So here then is a picture of the church growing in wisdom. And as God gives us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, we will seek um, to walk in the light and walk in wisdom in these ways. Let's bow our heads and pray.